Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter number 32. You know, I hate to start uh, and introduce the message with these words, but I'm going to risk it. This is election year. (laughs) I, I don't guess that's a surprise to anyone, of course. (laughs) And I doubt that we've ever had a time where people have gone to such great lengths to show what side they're on. That seems to be all that some folks want to talk about. You know, I somewhat can understand their concern when we realize what is at stake here in in our nation. But let me, and it might be more than any other time in history, I just don't know. But this morning, I want, to, I want to speak to you about something of even greater importance than that. In our text this morning, is found in verse number 26, Exodus 32, verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all of the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Who is on the Lord's side? That uh, is a question we all have to answer. There's no middle ground. You're either for the Lord or you're against the Lord. I remember as a boy growing up, and uh, many of you can, to where, you know, after school, all of the guys would get together out on the playground somewhere in a cow pasture, wherever you could, and you'd choose up sides. And naturally, everybody wanted to be on the on the winning side, and and you know there were always you know a couple of guys that got left till the very last pick, and you know nobody wanted them on the team. Well, uh, let me tell you, whenever it comes to the matter of life, there's only one winning side, and that's God's side. He has a perfect record. It's all victories and no defeats. Who is on the Lord's side? Now, before we make a personal application here, I want you to think about the the setting, the history of this event. Remember, Israel has been delivered from Egyptian bondage. And I mean, you would think that that would be enough to motivate them to live the entirety of their life in the perfect will of God. You'd think that's all that it would take. They've been delivered from bondage. They've been set free. And now they are en route to the promised land. Wow. Uh, I mean, you talk about excitement. Uh, To think about the promised land going into a land they won't have to build any houses. They're already built. They don't have to plant the vineyards. They're already planted. I planted. I mean, just everything is right there for them to go in and to take the land. And so that's where they're headed. More importantly, they are on a mission, and the mission is not just to conquer the the Canaanites. The mission is that they might display the greatness of God. That's that's why they existed. At Mount Sinai, God gave them the Ten Commandments, of course, and this is the standard by which they are to conduct themselves. And so God didn't just leave them in the dark as to how they ought to behave, but He gives them the Ten Commandments, and Moses comes down off of the mountain, 
And when he gets there, lo and behold, the people are dancing naked around a golden calf that they had erected as an idol. Moses is infuriated. Unlike a lot of the modern preachers, he did not just wink at their wickedness. He did not just ignore their iniquity, but rather he, being infuriated by their sin, called for a separation of the people. He rebuked Aaron for allowing this to happen. And he calls out to the people that they will, will come to the Lord's side and demonstrate a spirit of repentance. He then issued an order that the leaders of the rebellion be put to death. And we'll get to that later. And 3,000 were executed that day. That might be difficult. That is difficult for us today to understand. You have to remember, however, that God's purpose demanded purity. They are to represent God among the nations. In fact, the Bible speaks of God setting them as a queen as a queen so adorned that all of the nations would stand in awe as to their king and his great riches and his goodness. And that's why they existed, to draw attention to God that he'll be glorified among all of the nations of the earth. And so that's what's at stake. And uh, were they not a holy people, there was no reason for their existence. And those that refused to cooperate were executed. Now, that because God ordered the execution, it was right. Regardless of what you think about it, it was right. It was severe. It was swift. It was public. It was necessary. Who is on the Lord's side? And that raises several questions. I told someone a while ago, I said, I know before I even get started that I don't have time to say everything that I want to say, and I, I still feel that way. And, but I, I want to reduce this down to, to three questions this morning. When we think about who is on the Lord's side, first of all, that deserves our attention. I say that because this question is pertinent. I mean, it's more important than anything else. Who is on the Lord's side? Others need to know whose side that you're on. Your testimony is of greater value than all of your treasures. I remember years ago talking to someone that it just so happened that in the course of the conversation they discovered that one of our church members worked with them and had worked with them for years. And they said, I'm, I'm shocked. I had no idea that, that this person was even a Christian. Now think about that. And I, I just wonder, you know, were we to take a survey among your co-workers, your classmates, your neighbors, I wonder... I wonder if they know whose side you're on. This is a pertinent question, and not only that, it's perplexing. Always trying to blur the lines of distinction. You no longer can tell by the use of the word Christian. My, you can go to Hollywood, you can go to Nashville, you can go almost anywhere and find people that call themselves Christians. 
And if you just base everything on the use of that word, it would seem like a lot of people are on God's side. But let me tell you right now, there are a lot of those folks that know nothing about the saving grace of God, and yet they call themselves Christians. So you can't tell by the use of that word. You cannot always tell by the fact that they attend church. There are a lot of folks that attend church every week. For a lot of different reasons. That doesn't mean that they are on the Lord's side. You can't tell by the songs that they sing. Bev and I were raised, of course, in Springfield, Missouri, and and had the Ozark Jubilee there. And, of course, you know, the Ozark Jubilee was kind of a mini Nashville back then, except it had even, a, in some ways, a broader circulation because in the heyday of TV and all of a sudden everybody in the nation was watching the Louisiana Hayride and the Ozark Jubilee. And I'll never forget those guys, especially old Red Foley would get on there, you know, and they'd sing all of their old, uh, I got time for one more round and a six-pack to go and, you know, I love you, but we're strangers when we meet and all of those old garbage, you know, honky-tonk songs. And then they get down to the close and we're going to close now with a spiritual song. And old Red Foley would get up there and he'd, he'd you know, uh, sing his spiritual song of the night. You know, that kind of stuff must make God sick to his stomach. I'm telling you, you can't tell whether a person's on God's side by the songs that they sing. You can't tell by the amount that they give. You can't tell by their attitude concerning issues of secondary importance. You see, there's a lot of people that stand on the right side of many different issues, but they don't stand with God. Now, you just think about all of the issues that we face in our society today. And a lot of people are taking that into consideration here in this election year. We're thinking about the issue of abortion, and well, I'm going to stop right there. But you know the list goes on and on and on. Let me tell you, there are a lot of folks that are on the right side of those issues. And in fact, they might be even much better candidates than what we have presently. (laughs) Boy, I, I, I've got to kick myself in the seat of the britches to go past that, but because uh, I know what some of you are already thinking. But you can't tell whether they're on the Lord's side just by the fact that they stand on the right side of these different issues. You can't tell by the religious things that people say. You my, you turn on the television and watch just almost any kind of a broadcast and somewhere along the line there will be some reference, you know, to God and to religion, but uh, you, you can't tell if they're on God's side or not. And, and, but most of all, this is personal because every single person here has to answer that question for themselves. Your parents, your grandparents are not the issue. Doesn't make any difference where they stood, it's where you stand. Are you on the Lord's side? I mean, can you imagine Moses asking that question? Are you on the Lord's side? And somebody say, Oh boy, my grandpa was a Baptist deacon. My grandpa was the best best person that 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 ever lived. But but you see, it's not about grandma and grandpa and mom and dad. It's about you. Whose side are you on? That deserves our attention. 
And it demands an answer because it's impossible for us to be neutral. There's no middle ground. This is a question that every single one of us must answer because you're either on God's side or you're on the wrong side. Now notice when he, whenever he makes this statement, and I can almost picture him drawing a, you know, a line on the ground and standing over here and asking the question, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And notice it says that the Levites gathered themselves together unto him. And you see, they furnish us an example of all those that would follow the Lord. And notice in verse 27 and verse number 28, here we find them really put to the test. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. They were put to the test, and they proved themselves to be trustworthy. Notice, the test involved the execution of their relatives. And yet they courageously obeyed the order that they were given. Their love for the Lord exceeded their natural affection. You know, that kind of reminds us of what Christ said. That if we love our mother or father or brother or sister or anyone more than him, we're not worthy of him. You see, that's the demand of discipleship. It calls for the renunciation of everything else if we're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are no cut-rate, bargain-basement sales when it comes to discipleship. It requires everything, and just as they were put to the test, we're going to be put to the test. They obeyed, they passed with flying colors, and notice here, there were no questions asked. I mean, can you imagine something like that happening today? And, and surely someone would have a question. Moses, are you sure you got the right information from God? Are you sure that's what God really wants? They didn't ask any questions. They didn't make any hesitation. They just put their sword on their side and went to work, and there was no reservation. They submitted themselves to the authority of God's appointed leader. They carried out the orders. Now, I certainly don't expect any of us to be put in exactly that same kind of situation, but we're all put to the test. Every single day we are tested, and the question is, are we trustworthy? If we're, listen, if we're going to be the Lord's disciple, we've got to obey the Lord's commands. And the Levites did. And keep in mind, when you think about this, remember the, the Levites are those who were appointed and often called the priestly tribe, but they were those appointed to take care of the tabernacle. And boy, whenever you go back and you look at their whole story, it is absolutely amazing because whenever you go way back to the book of Genesis and it tells us there that they were unfit by nature, they were instruments of cruelty. 
So that tells me that there has been a transformation of their character. These people are different than what they used to be. They're transformed, and now they are the vessels of the tabernacle. They're the ones that are taking care of the priest. Transformed. And we see that they're toilers because their duties had to do with everything related to the tabernacle. And that was a difficult job to think about, you know, taking up all of those badger skins and the poles and everything. And every time they moved camp, that was their job. And it was their job to make sure all of the vessels were just right and everything went according to God's word. But here we see that they are put to the test and they are submissive to the will of God and remember they have not yet been appointed to this position as far as I know and that tells me something it tells me that when the time came for God to appoint this particular tribe for that service that he took into consideration their loyalty to his cause He found a tribe of people that were willing to obey him even if it meant putting to death those that were disobedient. We live in a day and age where, you know, we we don't even want to exercise church discipline. And a lot of folks don't have any clue, no understanding of what church discipline is even all about. But I'm telling you, sometimes it is necessary to the purity of the church and the future of a church for us to take those steps. And even so, we're talking about a nation that was on a mission whose purpose was to glorify God. That's the very reason for which they existed And without them being a holy people, they were a useless people, and they're put to the test, and they pass the test. And that raises the third issue, and that's the fact that this question determines our associates. Notice Moses is calling for a separation, and he is insisting that the people publicly identify what side they're on. And you read on in chapter number 33 and down through verse number 9 where it talks about the fact that those, you know, that were on the Lord's side, that they came unto the tabernacle. They assembled together. Well, as Christians, the Bible tells us that we are to separate ourselves from the world. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to have a holier-than-thou attitude. That doesn't mean that we're to be like a monk in a monastery and isolate ourselves from the world. It doesn't mean that we're to leave the impression we're better than anybody else. But we are to separate ourselves from the world. We are to be a different people. And the thing that determines our associates... Is whose side that we're on. So he says, separate yourself, identify yourself as followers of the Lord, unite with those that are on the Lord's side. And even today we think about God's people being called out as it were and uniting with the Lord's church. There's commitment involved. Every Christian ought to unite with the Lord's church. If we're on the Lord's side, we'll be on the same side, and that's the winning side. God's side's always right, and it's always best. As old Dr. Truett used to say, it is always the safest side. That's why Joshua said, choose you this day 
Amen. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. The only safe place on this earth is in the center of God's will. During one of the darkest days of the Civil War, there was a speaker of a delegation of Christians. As they were talking with President Lincoln, he said, We trust the Lord is on our side, Mr. Lincoln. And Lincoln responded by saying, I do not regard that as so essential as something else. I am most concerned to know that we are on the Lord's side. And let me tell you, dear friend, it's not your side that matters. It's not my side that matters. It's the Lord's side. That's all that's important. And being on any other side is being in dangerous territory. I said to someone last week I, that just what the house that we moved into before uh, this one, it was the first house we ever bought. In all of those years, I had preacher friends trying desperately to get me to stop renting and buying a house and, and I, I, t- I told him, I said, I don't want to buy a house because if the Lord, you know, calls me somewhere else, I don't have to sell a house before I go. I want to just pack my bags and, and move. I don't want anything there being a temptation or a hindrance. You know, that might, that might not seem important to you at all, but it was very important to Bev and I because we realized that regardless of what we do, it's got to be in the place where God wants us to be. And there's no other safe place. Let that sink in. You know, we're so concerned about our safety today. Man, somebody, somebody walk in here with a gun. I pity that sucker. I, we got you. We could marshal a small army with all the guns are in here right now. All of the cops. Maybe I shouldn't have told you that. Listen, we care about safety. I don't know about you, but unlike when I was a boy, when we never locked up anything, we lock our doors at night. We turn on the alarm at night. She's got a gun. I got a gun. We're concerned about safety. But I'll tell you what, you listen, you can do all of that stuff, and if you're out of the will of God, you're not safe. You're not safe. You're in dangerous territory. I love what Moses said when he said, Whoso is on the Lord's side, let him, what? Come unto me. Have you ever thought about that? Let him come unto me. Now, you see, Moses could do that because he knew he was on the right side. He knew who he was following. Let me ask you a question. If everybody you knew followed you, whose side would they be on? Whose side? You see, Paul did exactly the same thing. Paul said, you know, I want you to be followers of me even as I follow Christ. You better know that you're following the Lord before you encourage others to start following you. And Moses was living such a life that, and so obedient to God that he simply said, you come over to my side, you'll be on the right side, you'll be on God's side, and that's the safe side. So, 
Whose side would your loved ones be on if they followed you? Are you leading them to safety? Or are you leading them into sin? Somebody's watching you. Bev and I sat down and we read every letter in that great big album that was presented to us last week. And we loved every bit of it. You would be amazed at the details that some of these kids, wow, I, would, I wouldn't take a thousand dollars for that, that album. It is priceless. Let me tell you, these kids, you might not know it, but they're watching you. You better make sure you're on the right side. You, listen, you might not even know their name, but they know who you are. And they're watching you, and whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you sing in the choir, play an instrument, whatever you do, whoever you are, there are eyes upon you, people watching you, and most certainly if you have children, and if you have grandchildren, there are people that are watching you, and there are going to be some of them that's going to follow you. You better make sure that you're on the right side. Whoever's on the Lord's side, Moses said, let him come over to my side. Come over to where I am. I'm on the right side. They had to make a decision. And that decision demanded a declaration and a demonstration. In other words, they could have raised their hand and said, hey, I'm with you. We're on the Lord's side just like you are, Moses. And Moses could have said, all right, strap, and did, strap on your swords. We got work to do. You, you see, that we've got to get beyond just making a declaration that we're on the Lord's side. There has to be a demonstration of that. We've got to put it in shoe leather. We've got to live it out, flesh it out for others to see. Anybody can talk about being a Christian. It makes a big difference whether we live it out or not. Listen, we need to remove all doubt as to whose side we're on. I'll never forget soon after I surrendered to preach, we had a, back then we had a, a church softball team. Wow, that's an experience. Especially for me because, you know, listen... I wasn't totally sanctified the day after I got justified. I still had some stuff to work through. We we had a, a another kid that just, uh, oh, I don't know, less than a year after I surrendered to preach. This kid surrendered to preach. I'll never forget. His name was David Smith. He had real curly blonde hair, just a big old head of hair, kind of a short guy, and and anyway, we, we were playing ball and something happened out on the ball field and, uh, I, I, I did, some, I didn't punch anybody in the nose, don't worry, but I did something that wasn't, you know, in good taste, it wasn't good sportsmanship. I didn't think anything of it. I was just playing ball, that's the way you play ball, you. But I'll never forget, as we leave, leaving the park and I was walking out to the car and here he comes up and hollers at me, hey, wait a minute. I need to talk to you, and he's bawling like a baby. I said, what in the world is wrong, David? And I'll never forget what he said. 
He said, you'll never know how much you hurt me tonight. He said, what are you talking about? He said, ever since I've been a Christian and surrendered to preach, I've looked up to you, I've admired you, I've wanted to be like you. I never dreamed that you would do anything like you did tonight. Wow. You talk about a, you talk about a punch to the gut. I mean, that was it. I'm saying all of that to say this. Listen, there are people watching you. They need to know whose side that you're on, and it takes more than you just talking about it. You've got to walk the talk. And we need to remove all of the doubt. If you're here, in just a little bit, Kenley's going to be baptized. Kenley Preston trusted Christ as his Savior's dad. He's going to baptize him here uh, in just a little bit. What a wonderful thing. Isn't that great to think about somebody that was born again? I'm trusting Christ. Wow, it, listen, it doesn't get any better than that. That is so exciting, thrilling. But there are things to be done after a person has been saved. And number one is that we follow the Lord in baptism. There, there are some folks that have made a profession of faith, but they've, they just, for whatever reason, refuse to be baptized. And the world is wondering, whose side are you on? Listen, you need, you need to get in the waters, as it were, and let them know you're on the Lord's side. That ought to be clear. Then there are those that have made a profession of faith and they've been baptized, but, well, they're kind of like those I, I learned about a group of people I'd never heard of in my life when I started pastoring in Tennessee. And they were called trunk Baptists. Now, I know that was tongue-in-cheek and, uh, you know, uh, but that, that's, that's what they called a certain class of people. And I said, Trump Baptist, what in the world? You know, I know independent Baptists, I know Southern Baptists, I know Baptist Bible. What's a trunk Baptist? That's somebody that got their letter from a church and just put it in the trunk and wherever they move and wherever they go, they just take their letter with them, but they never move it to another church. Now, in the first place, we don't grant letters to people. You're not going to get a letter from us to put in your trunk. If you're going to change churches, we'll send the church a letter, but you're not going to have one for your keepsake in a trunk somewhere. But my point is, listen, every single Christian ought to be an active, faithful member of one of the Lord's churches. People need to know, this is where I'm a member. This is where I have committed myself to service. You know, this is where God put me. They need to know that. And don't, listen, don't expect them to believe that you're on God's side if you're living contrary to God's will and in disobedience to God's word. So whose side are you on? I don't know of any more important question than that. Whose side are you on? And let me say this as I close, and that is regardless of what else you've done or whatever you're doing, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are not on God's side. You see, the Bible says He commandeth all men everywhere to repent. We, we talk so many times about, you know, the invitation to salvation. No, wait, it's more than that. It is a command from God. 
He commandeth all men everywhere to repent. If you don't repent and turn from your sins as it were and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're living in rebellion against God. You're not on the Lord's side until you've been born again. And boy, let me tell you, the most wonderful thing in all of the world is to know that you know that you know that you are a child of God and nothing can take that away. Man, I'm so glad that I got on the Lord's side. By Listen, by being on the Lord's side, it's a whole lot more than being on the same team. It's being in the same family. That's what it means to have God as your heavenly Father, Jesus as your elder brother, the Holy Spirit as your helper, and heaven as your home. That's what it is to be on the Lord's side. So I ask you this morning, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Have you passed the test of obedience? Are you demonstrating to others that without any doubt, I am on the Lord's side? What would you have to do this morning to get on the Lord's side? Follow the Lord in baptism? You know, join the church? I I don't know. Whatever it is that God's will is for your life, that's what you need to do. And we're going to give you that opportunity right here, right now, this morning. Remember, this is a public ceremony, if you want to call it that. He didn't say, now, whoever's on the Lord's side, let him go home and think about it or pray about it. He didn't say, if you're on the Lord's side, you know, send me a little note later on letting me know. No, this is a public demonstration. If you're on the Lord's side, if others are doubting which side you're on, you get up right now and you... Show the world what side you're on. We need that in America today more than ever. Let's all stand together, Tim, as you come and as we sing. If God's speaking to your heart, if you've never been saved, we encourage you to come today and and to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior right there where you are, just simply putting your trust in Him. And then it would be great if you would come and tell us about that. Those awaiting baptism, if you will be dismissed, and Brother Kenneth will meet you up there. Father, we thank you this morning for your exceeding great and precious promises. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to assemble together. We thank you for the Word of God that gives us clear instruction and and great inspiration. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for those men and women who have made it clear to the world that they are on your side and they have scotched their feet and nothing, nothing moves them. God, help us to do the same. Help us to obey you regardless of how difficult it might be. Help us, Heavenly Father, to show our neighbor, to show our family and to demonstrate to everyone that we know that we're on your side. Bless us this morning. We don't deserve it, but we beg it this morning in Jesus' dear name. Amen.